As we continue this morning, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now, if you're not familiar with where Matthew is located, what I would encourage you to do is go to the table of contents. Uh, In that table of contents, you're going to find that the Bible is broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So locate the New Testament. Matthew will be the first book in that section. Turn to Matthew, and then you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, let me tell you a little bit about uh, a job that I had in my college days. When I was in college, I worked several years for an engineering company. This engineering company uh, would test building materials uh, to be used on roads or or commercial buildings. Uh, And during my time there, I learned one thing. A foundation, a good foundation, is vital to the well-being and the longevity of any good construction projects, whether it be a road uh, or a home or a commercial building, uh, something one story, uh, 50 stories, it didn't matter. A firm foundation is so important uh, to to the longevity, to the the, the long-lasting ability of a road or a building to stay up. It's everything. If you don't have a good foundation, uh, eventually everything else is going to crumble. It's going to crack. It's, it's going to begin to fall apart. And so the question that I want to start with this morning is what is the foundation in our lives? If we want our life to be strong, if we want our life uh, to be blessed long term, then what should our foundation be? Well, luckily for us, Jesus addresses our foundation in this, uh, this section of Matthew chapter 5. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin at the very beginning in verse 1. Now, as you're finding that, uh, let me give you some background. Jesus, uh, we're beyond Jesus and his early days. We're in the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, he has uh, gone to John the Baptist and been baptized. Um, And immediately following that baptism, he has gone out into the wilderness and he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been tempted by Satan uh, and now he has come back and he is doing direct ministry. We're going to find that at the beginning of this chapter. So we're going to read chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. So begin with me in verse 1. It says this, Jesus, seeing the crowds, went up on the mountain And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to focus on the first four of these blessings. These blessings, there's eight of them total. Uh, These blessings are called the Beatitudes. You may have heard that term thrown around. If you grew up in church, then you've probably heard these before and you've heard that reference. And today we're going to look at the first 
four of what are called the Beatitudes. Now, uh, before I, I, I go into each and every one of these, uh, I want to point something out to you. There are eight of these Beatitudes, and they're actually broken into two sections. The first four of the eight Beatitudes deal with the way that we see ourselves in light of our relationship with Jesus. The last four deal with how we interact with others based on our relationship with Jesus. Um, you, I want you to point out or see here, I want to point out to you that these eight Beatitudes are actually a reflection of something else that you may have seen if you've, you've studied the Bible at all or if you grew up in church. These eight Beatitudes actually reflect the same idea that's given in the Ten Commandments and in the great commandments that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 22. Now the 10 commandments, if you were to go back to the book of Exodus chapter 20, you're gonna read these 10 commandments and there you're gonna find that the first four of the 10 commandments have to deal with our relationship with God and the last six have to do with our relationship with others. When you go and read Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is confronted by a religious scholar. Uh, and he's, he asks Jesus, what are the, what's the greatest commandment in all of God's word? And Jesus says, well, uh, the first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is an idea that is consistent throughout all of scripture. It's that idea that loving God is first and loving others is second. And everything that God commands for us and wills for our life falls under those two main ideas, loving God and loving others. The Beatitudes, these eight blessings, are the same way. The first four have to do with the way our, we see ourselves and relate to God. And then the last four relate to how we see ourselves and relate to those around us. And so I want you to wrap your mind around this idea that the Beatitudes are about loving God and loving others. Uh, and so here's my big idea for the day. Uh, if you have listened to any of my messages, you've probably noticed that most of the time I give a big idea. That big idea is kind of a, a summary of the overall concept of what I'm teaching in a message. And it's a statement that I want you to be able to take home and think about throughout the week and, and kind of let it uh, simmer in your mind and build into something. And so here is today's big idea. It's simply this. The humble, hungry, and remorseful heart is the foundation to Jesus's kingdom. Uh, let me say that again. The humble, hungry, and remorseful heart is the foundation to Jesus's kingdom. It's this idea, and we're going to see this in the first four uh, of these Beatitudes. It's the idea that when we live with a humble heart, with a, a hungry heart, a, hung, a heart that's hungry for the Lord, uh, and a remorseful heart uh, for our sin, when we were sorrowful for, for the sins that we've committed, those three ideas, that, that humility, that hunger for the Lord, that remorse, that repentance, those ideas are the foundation to us being a part of Jesus's kingdom. So let's look right at this. Turn with me again, Matthew chapter five. We're gonna look at these uh, very quickly. So look with me in verse three. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me address this word blessed first. There's a lot of confusion about what blessed actually means, and it's simply this. It does not mean happy. There are a lot of of people that would love to interpret it that way, but that's simply not what it means. When you go and study this word and its connection to the Hebrew language, which is what the the people of Jesus's uh, nation spoke were were Hebrew and Aramaic. When you look at the connection uh, that that this word has to the Old Testament words of Hebrew and and the Aramaic Aramaic languages, when you look at the Greek meaning that that is used directly here in Matthew and also this passage is found in Luke. When you look at that word blessed, it does not mean happy. Uh, Blessed refers to someone being approved by another and the response that someone receives from that approval. Uh, So when I say that my son is blessed, when I'm using this meaning, it means that I approve of my son and his actions or his thoughts, his attitudes, whatever I may be speaking about. I approve of that action or that thought or that attitude of my son. And I'm going to reciprocate in some way my approval of him or, or of his actions, thoughts, or attitudes. And so this idea, blessed, it is not about happiness or an emotion. This is about our approval of by God, uh, God giving his approval to us because of our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes. And it's also about God reciprocating, get, giving back some kind of blessing because of that approval. So every time that we see in the next eight verses, this word blessed, a blessed does not mean that someone's emotionally happy. It means that they're approved and they're blessed by God through that approval. Uh, So again, verse three, it says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, now what does poor in spirit actually mean? Uh, What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means that we acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy. Uh, We don't have anything when it comes to spiritual strength. Everything that we have in a spiritual sense is from God. Every ability, uh, every uh, perseverance, every strength, every whatever it may be that we have in our spiritual life comes as a result, as a blessing from Jesus. Uh, It's acknowledging that we don't have the ability to be strong spiritually outside of Jesus. Uh, Another way you could put this is to be humble. It's realizing that in light of our relationship with God, we don't have any power in and of ourselves. We can do nothing without God's strength in our lives. It's recognizing that we are unworthy of his blessings, that we are also completely dependent on him. It's that, that connection of being humble in the eyes of God. True humility, being poor in spirit, does not mean thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Uh, Let me kind of wrap that uh, up a a little bit. It's not meaning that you, um, you neglect yourself or your needs or your wants. It's much more about recognizing who you are in respect to the greatness of God. 
the perfection, the all-knowing, the all-powerful presence, the perfect presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. It's recognizing that He is greater and we are lesser. It's recognizing His power and our lack of power. And it's also recognizing uh, that our relationship with other people, that we're not greater than anyone else. We're not more powerful. We're not more righteous. We're not better than anyone else in the eyes of God, in connection, in our relation, in comparison to God, we are just like everyone else. We are sinners in need of someone to come and rescue us from the consequences of our sins. So that's what it means to be poor in spirit. The poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now look with me at the next one, verse four. It says this, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. This is mourning over the ways that we disobey God. The, the ways that we um, take God's glory away from him, the ways that we um, hurt uh, his witness in our lives. It's mourning the breaking of our relationship with him. And that's what sin does. Sin actually breaks. It, it, it damages our relationship with God, our Lord and our Savior. Uh, it, it builds a wall between us and our, our Lord. Uh, and so it's the mourning over our sin. It's also mourning over the ways that our sins have turned people away from Jesus. Uh, it's that idea that our actions, our words have consequences. Uh, and, and when we, uh, as people who claim to follow Jesus, when we do things that shed a bad light on our Savior, when we do things that are, that are contrary to the character of Jesus and the love and the respect that Jesus has for all people, when we do things that damage that reputation, we should mourn that. Uh, because we, by our actions, can turn people away from Jesus. We can, we can say things, we can do things that make people go, why would I want Jesus? If that's the way that a follower of Jesus treats people, why would I want that? Well, when we do those things, we mourn over them. But when we mourn, that mourning comes with repentance. And repentance is simply this. It's recognizing the way that we disobey uh, or we hurt our witness out in the community or with others. It's recognizing that thing that we do or say uh, that is in disobedience to God. And it's saying, I will not do that again and turning and going the other direction. It is walking away from our sin uh, and the ways we disobey God and turning to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So when we mourn, that means that we repent, we turn away from our sin. And when we do that, what do we receive? Well, according to this passage, we get comfort, we're comforted. And the reason we're comforted is because we're turning away from our sin and we're turning towards our Savior, Jesus. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who mourn. Look with me in verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now meek, the word itself, is one of the most misunderstood words in American culture today. The word meek, the, the Greek word that, that is in here, uh, this 
New Testament of our Bible was written all in uh, ancient Greek. And the word there for meek, the Greek word, does not mean someone who's, who's soft or, or, or fragile or anything like that. Meek is actually a word that means someone or something that is very powerful but is under control. Uh, so for example, Alexander the Great had this legendary horse. There are actually statues in Greece and in Europe uh, of this horse. And this horse was, uh, was legendary. It was said to be very strong and powerful. And when it went into battle, uh, it would kill as many people as Alexander the Great would. It's it said that no one could approach it in the stables except for Alexander the Great, that, that it would uh, damage, it would hurt people who tried to approach it if, if Alexander wasn't there. Alexander had control over this very powerful horse. That's what meek means. The, the word used to describe Alexander the Great's horse is meek. And so it's this idea that something is very, very strong and powerful, yet is under perfect and, and utter control of someone or something else. You see, we have a lot of power. We have the power to do many, many things. Uh, we actually have the freedom, especially as Americans, we have the freedom to do so much. And freedom means power. It equals power. But, but as followers of Jesus, our power and our freedoms are under the control of our Savior and our Lord. When we begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus, we place our lives in submission to His perfect control. That's what being meek is all about. It's not strength. It's not aggression. It's not protest. It's control. It's power under control. It's how we talk and treat others. Uh, we have the ability and we have the uh, legal right and freedom to talk to someone however we want to talk to them or treat them as long as we don't physically hurt them uh, we pretty much can do what we want we have the freedom of speech and and the freedom of many other things but jesus calls us to respond to talk to others and to treat others in a way that is greater and godlier than than showing freedom or strength you know jesus in first peter 3 uh, tells us that when we're speaking with others and we're, we're telling them, we're exemplifying Jesus, we're to do that with gentleness and respect. And so meekness is that power under control. Now look with me at the last one that we're going to talk about today. Verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst, basically what we're talking about here is desire. When we desire the will of God, when we desire to follow God with all of our being, when we desire to know Jesus more intimately, then that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And ultimately, verse 6 tells us that when we hunger and thirst for that righteousness, we will be satisfied. We will want to do God's will 
completely. We will actively see justice and be a part of justice being lived out in the lives of others. We, as followers of Christ, can absolutely not stand by and let injustice be done to others. When we live, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that means that we live for that intimate life uh, hope-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus, and we seek that relationship, and in that relationship, we see justice served in the lives of others. We, we live to make sure that others are cared for and loved for and are not treated unjustly. And here's a question that I have. Some of you who are watching right now, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have no idea what hungering and thirsting for righteousness is all about. And maybe God is doing something in your heart right now. Maybe you've got questions about what a life-changing relationship with Jesus actually looks like. Uh, and, and if you want to know Jesus, if you don't know him now and you want to, you can know him. You can know hungering and thirsting for righteousness and being satisfied in that hunger and thirst. You can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And knowing Jesus is simply this. It's believing that Jesus was and is the Son of God, that, that he lived a perfect, sinless life in him. And that at the end of his days, he was uh, innocently hung on a cross to die. And on that cross, through the shedding of his blood, our sins were atoned for. Uh, he was the perfect sacrificial lamb given up for our sins. Uh, and, and that takes care of all of our sins. And you, you have to believe that he was and is the son of God, that he died for your sins. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. He, he, he resurrected and then he ascended into heaven. And right now, Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Following Jesus, being a Christian, knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior means this. You believe in those things. You believe in Jesus, who he was, who he said he was. You believe in what he taught. And ultimately, you proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You, you publicly become a follower of Jesus. And if you've got questions about what that looks like, if you, if you have questions about what it means to believe and to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Savior, please, again, reach out to us. Send us a direct message. Email us. Go to our website. We've got contact information there. Please reach out to us. We would love the opportunity to answer any and all of your questions as, as best we can uh, and help you in your next steps in your journey with Jesus. Ultimately, we want every generation to know the life-changing hope of Jesus. So, we, we are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are all states of our being. It's how we think. It's how we behave. It's our attitude. It's how we view ourselves in relationship to the perfection and almighty, all-knowing, perfect God, Jesus. It's how we see ourselves in light of that relationship. And these are the foundation to having a healthy relationship with Jesus. 
You know, I, I started by talking about the, the importance in the construction world of a foundation, that without a strong foundation, eventually everything that doesn't have a strong foundation is going to crumble and fall apart. You and I are the same. Without a firm foundation in Jesus, we will fall apart. We will not make it uh, into the eternity that God has for us. And so that uh, foundation is vital. So here's my, my questions for you this morning. Do you want to inherit Jesus' kingdom with him? Do you want that eternal, perfect existence with Jesus? Well then, be humble. Be poor in spirit. Do you want to be comforted? Well then, mourn over your sin and the destruction that that sin creates. Mourn over that. Re repent. Turn away from that. Do you want to inherit the blessings that Jesus has for you right here and right now and for all of eternity? Do you want those blessings? Great. Then be meek, be powerful and bold under the control of Jesus' love and gentleness. And do you hunger and thirst? Do you want to be satisfied? Great, then hunger and thirst for a stronger relationship with Jesus. Now, that's what these passages are teaching us. So my, my, my ending question today is, where's your foundation? Where's your heart? Uh, what do you find your strength in? Do you find it in Christ? Do you find it in Jesus? Um, or do you live with a poor spirit? Are you, are you looking to be the person who lives meekly, power under the, the perfect control of Jesus? Are you humble? Do you mourn over your sin? Do you desire that intimate relationship with Jesus? Where is your foundation today? Do you live by the, the foundations that Jesus has given us in this passage in Matthew chapter 5? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you. Thank you that you have given us the instructions for having a firm foundation in you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in these foundations, that you would help us to change our minds, change our hearts, do that through your Holy Spirit today, that you would help us to be poor in spirit, that you would help us to be meek. Lord, that you would help us to hunger and thirst for you, that you would help us to mourn over our sin. Lord, help us today to change our hearts for you, that our lives could more closely reflect the intimate, close relationship that we have with you. So Lord, change our hearts today. Help us to be more like you. We thank you again, Lord. And we pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.